How you doing, Julia? I'm, you know, I'm all right, all things considered. I mean, I'm hanging in there. Uh, I was already working from home as a candidate. Lots of us do that. So that hasn't changed substantially, but yeah. How about you? What ha- What has changed for you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what hasn't changed? Um, uh, uh, campaigning during a pandemic um, changes everything, uh, especially if you're a grassroots candidate, um, not being able to meet in person uh, or have a strong volunteer field um, effort um, really affects every single aspect of the campaign, um, including the budget, because the ways that you can contact voters um, other than volunteer door knocking is, is, although other methods are fairly expensive. You're talking to and listening to Julia DeGraw, an organizer and water rights advocate, served as the director of Portland Forward Progressive Government Policy Advocacy Group. In disclosure, I've also been a part of that group, is now a candidate for Portland City Council. Today we have an opportunity to get to know Julia and her vision for Portland. Julia, who are you and why are you running? (laughs) Thank you, Jefferson. Um, So yeah, I'm Julia DeGraw. I'm running for Portland City Council, position two. Um, I have a 15-year-long career in the nonprofit sector. Um, The majority of that time I've spent uh, building broad and diverse coalitions uh, to take on massive corporate interests. Um, One of my uh, major campaigns that most folks have heard about is uh, keeping Nestle out of the Columbia River Gorge, um, which frankly expanded to keeping Nestle from bottling water anywhere in the Northwest region. Um, We continue to see... That was a big deal. uh, the ramifications of that, yeah, yeah, the, the community in, in, in Washington, in southwest Washington, uh, the community of Randall um, just kicked uh, a massive uh, water bottler out of their community and actually got a state uh, bill, a bill introduced at the state legislature. Um, they would ostensibly make it impossible for new commercial water bottlers to come into rural Washington. It passed the, um, the Senate, but it didn't pass the House. But either way, I mean, there, there's major progress happening on... on, on um, uh, on, on the bottled water front um, and a large bar- part built on the 10-year the fight that we had to keep Nestle out of the gorge, which is really exciting to see that legacy just continue. Um, and yeah, and it was a really big deal. I'm really, I'm really proud of, of sticking with it for 10 years and working with a really diverse group of, um, uh, of organizations and people to, to, keep, uh, to, keep, to protect the public water. And it included passing about measure in Hood River County um, that made commercial water bottling illegal, um, which passed with 68% of the vote, which is a huge, huge deal. Let's talk about the race a little bit. Talk about the seat you're yeah. running for and some of the candidates you think you're bumping up against the most. Well, something I want to add real quick um, before we jump into this race this time is that I ran for this seat, um, position two on Portland City Council two years ago in 2018. Um, I ran on a, a, a platform of no corporate cash. I took no corporate cash before we passed the honest elections ballot measure, which I actually worked on. Um, so I just want to make it really clear to everyone who's listening that um, I really mean it when I say I want to get big money out of politics. I'm also engaged in a statewide ballot measure to uh, make sure that uh, uh, creating campaign contribution limits is, is officially made legal in the state of Oregon. So I'm really serious Uh, about not taking corporate cash. Uh, This time around, I'm lucky that um, the Open and Accountable Elections Program is available and uh, the donations from Portlanders can be matched up to $50 six times by the city. So I'm really excited to be able to use that program this time around, especially 
campaigning during a pandemic. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I just want to be really clear about the no, no corporate cash and being very serious from, about that from the from the very beginning. For a long time, you've been advocating to change the commission form of government, uh, move to a uh, move to a system of district-based elections. Uh, I think you're not for a strong mayor. I think you're for an unelected, uh, an unelected king. Uh, what and so and, and aware of your aware of your view, and it's been a robustly debated topic. My question is, what are the things you think need to be done to ensure? accountability, democratic accountability, small d democratic accountability with a bureau, you know, with a, a bureaucracy that is uh, less elected, has less small d democratic accountability. And what do you also want to make sure happens so that we don't get more balkanized, that districts don't start thinking of themselves as wards in Chicago and just fighting for their own ward is distinct from fighting for the whole city? What are things we have to do? Assuming you, assuming your proposal and the City Club proposal, other people's proposals, is, is moved forward, what are things we have to do to moderate those concerns? Yeah, so I, I, uh, I, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, I don't buy the, the binary recommendations that have been made um, by the City Club report. I think it oversimplified what our options are. Um, uh, we don't have to have one city manager to, to run the entire city. We don't what would you do to, instead? That's not the only other form of government that exists, and no, nor is a strong mayor system. The idea that those are our only two options is, is untrue. What would you, you do instead? A city like San Francisco or other cities where they have um, kind of a hybrid system. And I think that we need to be really thoughtful about exploring our options on how to actually structure the government. You can also build in at-large positions in addition to having the districts. Um, so there's, I, you know, we have so many options and I'm not here to prescribe to Portlanders what exact form of government they should have. Um, what I'm really committed to is having a deeply engaged process with uh, organizations and communities across the city in, in helping develop uh, what our government should look like. And, and we're heading into a, a once-a-decade charter review commission year um, in 2021. So I'm a really good person to have on council as we head into that charter review year because I've done a deep dive and I understand how the system currently works, I can jump in there and be a commissioner on day one. And that is a big reason why Commissioner Joanna Hardesty has endorsed me in this race. She feels like I can hit the ground running. It's a good pivot and it's a good plug. And I'm ready to do this job. But I want to... Yeah, so she's also really committed to making sure that the charter review process is done in a way um, that uh, opens up the door for changing our form of government and how we vote so we can have better representation on council um, in a way that is engaging the community and that and that leads to an outcome that will actually pass the ballot and that will actually improve the way the city operates. So the, the only um, recommendations I have within that, you know, which is basically that we need to have a deeply engaged community process to come up with a system that the people of the city actually want and would approve of, um, is we should definitely be considering uh, multiple member districts because we are an incredibly white city. And um, if you just create geographic districts across the city, there's still not necessarily a guarantee that you're going to end up with more diversity on council. So we want to make sure we have folks on council who aren't just from every part of the city, but also have more diversity in terms of lived experience and culture. So, um, so I, there's a really great Sightline Institute report that talks about that, uh, about the multiple member district idea. 
Um, and again, if we have a year of public education and input, um, I think that that level of change should be something that, that voters can can wrap their minds around and, and get behind. Um, I think strong mayor systems tend to not pass the ballot in the city of Portland, which is my primary reason for kind of recommending against that. But again, I think there's hybrid systems worth exploring. We don't have to have uh, a, a, a total you know, city manager style system, although more professionalized management of the city bureaus is not a bad idea. And I do want to emphasize my one of my major reasons for for uh, supporting changing the commission form of government is that right now our commissioners spend 90 percent of their time running bureaus. Who's creating policy? Who's coming up with a long term vision for our city when you're spending 90 percent of your time running bureaus? Right. Uh, so I think it's really important that we have folks in elected office who are able to focus on things like constituency services and creating legislation and long-term plans with funding and benchmarks that are going to actually solve these big systemic problems we're facing around housing and climate change and uh, transportation and traffic. If that question was, maybe it was just rhetorical, but if, if it were in fact a question, what I'd say is that running a bureau is policy, that what the, the the choices are made within transportation, the choices that are made uh, in water, the choices that are made in parks. Uh, one can say, I mean, the, we can in a legislative chamber draw a line and say, well, that's a policy thing, that's an implementation thing. But ultimately, the choices that happen, whether it's through regulation or staff conduct, those things end up being the things that get felt by voters. I did hear the multi-member district thing is a, a partial answer to. The question that would do if you had bigger districts with multiple members and even some at large seats that could do something to address the balkanization concern. Appreciate that answer still. And I heard you say you don't want to prescribe the form of government for voters, but but you you and you would be engaged in a robust decision. But for discussion, but for you, that would not include I mean, you're not open to the idea of the current system. So I do want to delve into that question about uh, who should be in charge of stuff if it isn't a strong mayor then it does seem pretty clear that it's sort of an unelected mayor. It's a captain bureaucrat. It's a czar of all things. But, or if it's not that, give me the other option. What's the, what's the version that you think work, work best or that you would consider in addition to those? Right. So, again, I, don't, I really don't want to frame this as in what do I think is better because I really um, want these options to be presented and, and uh, to, to uh, the Portland uh, organizations and communities um, for them to consider. Uh, but I, like as I said before, there's uh, a lot of hybrid systems out there where you have mayors that have some executive power that's highly checked by the city commissioners or the city councilors. Um, I think that's really worth exploring because there is um, a benefit to having a, a leader who you know has a strong vision, being able to uh, try to enact, you know, visionary policy, and I and I think that's uh, that that and and also having some more um, uh, higher level managerial uh, ability of, over the the city operations. I think you still need to have a more professionalized staff helping to oversee those bureaus, um, and uh, and we need to look at how other cities do this that are have to have hybrid systems. So you mean a, so so I don't have like a perfect answer for that because I. I think one of three things, we're either going to pick a hybrid system that doesn't exist yet, that is you know, specific to Portland, or we're going to look at what worked in other cities and we're going to like emulate what they're doing. Um, so I really don't want to be overly prescriptive to this, but it's like I, I've, I've heard a lot of criticism and fear around the idea 
of having like one city manager to run the whole thing. And I, and I, and I hear those concerns, which is why I'm open um, to a hybrid system. Um, but exactly what that looks like, I don't even know. Right. I think, but a hybrid system, so a hybrid system, we discuss this and, and, and come up with a, a system that we think is going to be a better fit for Portland. I do want to say that there is no such thing as a perfect form of government. And so we're going to have to like, <laughs> Work on this together, right? So a hybrid you know, system. No silver bullet solution. I don't want to interrupt you, but a hybrid system means what? A pretty strong mayor and a pretty strong unelected uh, queen. The uh, those that's what a hybrid system looks like with some checks and balances by a legislative uh, um, city council. With it, yeah, that's the last thing I would mention. Yeah, and I would never call. Um, I, I and I don't think I think that there should be. Um, uh, but yeah, that's 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 basically what it would be called. And I, and I recognize that I, mean, I recognize the discomfort. I, mean, I think this has been one of the challenges because for decades there are people who say, "Oh yeah, our former government's kind of dumb," and then they look at other cities and they're like, "Well, they, those cities aren't that great either." And then and I, I have heard this and felt this and seen this reticence at saying, "I think it could work like this." The city club did that, and then people start critiquing the city club proposal. And the but the truth of the matter is we're not picking against, just merely against something. We're gonna have to pick for something, and then comparing you know, that I actual thing agree. for. I'm just saying the city club didn't have a really they they did a report, and I yeah. really appreciate that they did a report, and they spoke to some people and they did a lot of research. But it's like we have not had a big, like multiple town hall discussions. Uh, surveys that are mailed to people, online surveys. We haven't done a broad-based community effort to educate and get input on what the Portland, the city of Portland wants to see from their government. Should that discussion include the current system? If we had a really robust process that engaged people in this decision-making through the charter review year, that we could land on something that voters would actually support. Um, and I just don't want to tell you exactly what that sure. thing is, Jefferson, because I, that's been the problem up to this point is we had a bunch of really smart people thinking they could just tell Portlanders what form of government they think is better for them. And I think we need to have, we need to take the time to, to slow down and, and, and educate folks and give them options and, 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 and should, and should that discussion, Julia, should that discussion include the current system or would you have that discussion exclude, would you say let, let, we're setting aside the current system and we're having a discussion around what something different than that would be? I mean, sure. We could include the current system as long as it involves uh, modifying it. We, the current system, exactly what would be the modifications is, that, on the table? What, five people representing a town of, what would be over 700,000 folks? What would be the things you, ludicrous, right? So we need what, to, so what would be the, the things, council. What would be the things that would be off the table? What things would you prescribe for sure? When you want to have this robust discussion, what things should not be part of that discussion? Well, I think that the mayor as God is kind of a non-starter because voters have said no to it repeatedly. Um, But it could be on the table and we could just say no to it again. Um, uh, I'd say leaving the council at at five is is an absolute non-starter. In a city our size, you need um, 12, 13 people representing the city. Um, So... Uh, but other than that, yeah, no, we should have a conversation about it. I think we do need to increase the professional management of the city. What are the issues that you think are getting too little attention in the city council race? Maybe everything because of the everything is focused right now on COVID-19. What do you think well, is getting too little attention? I mean, I think that we're paying a lot of attention to the the, the, the big problems that we're facing. I don't know that we're paying uh a strategic 
the, the right kind of attention towards them, right? You know, with the, the city, uh, um, again, I, I, it's really what I just said, which is that um, the way that we currently operate under a commission forum, and I'm not, you know, there's nothing that says that, that, uh, that a, a commissioner can't work across bureaus and jurisdictions with broad coalitions to solve problems. They can. Uh, generally, though, the way our system operates, they don't behave that way. They try to, uh, you know, get resources for and, and create projects for their bureaus that make them look good and successful and that help them win future elections. And, and, and that's how we've kind of been approaching this. And it's like I think we're trying to get our heads around how do we do uh, collaborative work on housing. It's why they created the joint office on, on housing, right? You know, and it's supposed to be uh, collaborating with the county and across jurisdictions to address this housing crisis. And I think it's, you know, from everything I'm hearing, it's understaffed and needs more funding. Shocking there, right? Um, and uh, and the problem is really huge. And I think it's clear from, from the fact that sweeps still happen um, and that we still have people that are literally living on the streets without even temporary shelter, that we aren't doing a good enough job of addressing the immediate urgent needs of people who don't have housing. You know, there's a lot of talk about what's coming down the line with um, supportive housing and additional units, but until those are online, we have to do better at this immediate urgent crisis, and I, I'm not seeing enough um, creative thinking and action taken on that level. What would be the thing that you would do that you don't think another city councilor, another mayor, or another uh, head of a bureau, if they aren't elected, what would you bring that you think they wouldn't? I think that there are some really difficult decisions and, and, and concern around liability that are preventing the city from um, and, and the county from finding uh, public and or private property where um, where folks who are unhoused can can have temporary shelter and have all the, the services they need provided to them. Um, I you know it's 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 a it's a challenging prospect. It's legally challenging. Um, I think that someone has to, uh, to, you know, actually push for that. We need to actually say we need to find a way to temporarily shelter folks, you know, in the city before all of these units and, uh, and, and assisted living or uh, supportive housing units come online. Um, and it's we just have to do it. We have to. It's kind of similar to how uh, Joanne Hardesty is working across bureaus and across um her, with her fellow commissioners on police accountability. Even though they don't have uh, the police bureau in their portfolio, they recognize that this is an issue that everyone should be concerned about. I think that we have to have a very similar commitment across every commissioner um, and in and, and every jurisdiction, you know, the county up to metro and even the state, um, in addressing these immediate needs of folks. I mean, now that we have a, a pandemic, we're starting to do it, right? The convention center is being opened up to the those individuals can have proper social distancing during this pandemic where, you know, in a place where they can sleep and get food. Um, it, it takes a pandemic for us to suddenly meet uh, the basic human needs of the people who are living in the city. And we needed to have treated the houseless crisis this seriously, even without a pandemic, frankly. As an administrator, and if there is a change to Portland's former government, that ain't going to happen in your first year or two of office. It might not happen in your first term. It means that maybe your key responsibility, you said 90% of the time you would be running bureaus rather than making policy. What are right. your greatest strengths? What's the biggest budget you've ever run? What's the biggest organization you've ever run? Um, 
so I've been uh, in charge of the Northwest region when I was at uh, Food and Water Watch, um, and I wasn't necessarily, like, given uh, my budget, but I had to, like, operate the entire uh, system under the constraints that were provided by uh, Food and Water Watch. So, um, uh, and then my executive director position at Portland Forward was um, the the first time I've been in an executive position. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the largest budget I've ever seen is, is, is not <laughs> that large, but I'm also not the first person to run for city council who's not overseen a, a huge budget. I mean, you know, you look at uh, other folks on council, Chloe U. Daly, um, uh, it's not, I'm not, I wouldn't be the first person. So I've not overseen like huge budgets. What are your strengths as an administrator? What are your strengths as a manager? I think my biggest strength going into this job is that I am a, I, mean, I spent my entire 15-year career building diverse and broad coalitions to accomplish, you know, huge goals together. And it's really, <laughs> um, you, you can't, there's not a lot of ego involved in coalition building and organizing. You have to uh, herd the cats, keep everyone aimed in the same direction towards your common goal, um, help guide, uh, you know, strategic thinking and, and, and solution uh, and, and keeping everyone solution oriented. Uh, and I think that that is very similar to what it's like to be a commissioner. You've got to come in there with a strong sense of leadership of how to like pull people together, uh, figure out what our common vision is and figure out where does our Venn diagram overlap? Where do we agree on what needs to happen? And we might disagree on the how, right? And that's where the debate has to happen. That's where we've got to figure it out. But I'm the kind of person that will stay at the table and keep people at the table until we come up with solutions. I mean, that is how I operate. And I think that's something that's greatly needed in the commission form of government as long as we're going to have it. Any weaknesses in your ability to manage anything that you think you need to improve at? I'm still, I mean, what I'm interested in, is, and maybe it's just me, but I also think other people are interested in too is, as well, is uh, our self-reflection. Right. I mean, I, and our ability to understand what we're good at and what we're not as good at. What are the places we need to grow? And some of that is about learning and changing. And some of that is, well, no, I kind of am who I am. And that means what I have to do is build a team around me that fills in my gaps, that can do the things that I can't do or helps correct some of my mistakes. Are there any particular areas other than just having a chance to do it more that you think you'd like to specifically grow? Yeah, I've already, I mean, the, the, I, the, the, there's, there's two things. Uh, well, there's more than two things always. But uh, the, the main thing is, yeah, I, I, um, I'm really great at uh, staying focused and, and using a system once it's created and someone shows me the system. Creating the system out of nowhere, not, not my strong suit. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, my, my chief of staff is going to be an incredibly organized person who is really good at prioritization and making sure that the things that are in front of me at any given moment are the things that should be in front of me, right? So that I can use my best skills um, to do the job because she's going to, you know, make sure that I'm on track and that, and that the priorities of what needs to be in front of me at any given moment are, are like, she's going to be helping create that structure. So I definitely have a really strong uh, uh, person in mind for, for my, my chief of staff who's going to, be really good at that structure and, and, and keeping, keeping things on track and making sure that, that, that we have a good system that determines what the priorities are so that um, I can focus on doing my job, right? Um, and the other thing is, is yeah, I am, uh, as, a, as a, a white woman um, in Portland, uh, I, I definitely 
have a, a, a different lived experience than, than people who walk through this world, um, you know, who are members of the, the black, indigenous, or, you know, any other people of color communities, and, uh, and also folks who live anywhere on the margins or struggle with accessibility issues or uh, mental health issues, right? So I, I definitely um, am committed to having uh, a diverse staff, you know, that have a, a diversity of lived experiences and who um, are majority not white is my goal. So this is definitely something that I think is really important if you're going to, uh, you know, have a staff that um, helps you change how we function in the city of Portland. You better hire people that that are more representative of our, of our diverse communities. As you embrace, as you grapple with, as you wrestle with that set of issues, how do we build more equitable leadership? What's the decision-making process to decide to run rather than support another candidate, including a candidate like Loretta, Loretta Smith? Well, I think that we it, it's it's definitely time for... Uh, for new leadership, I think we need new leaders, and um, and I think that your policies uh, and and your politics matter. I think I have very different um, policies and politics than than the, than Loretta Smith has. Where are the so biggest I, differences? I think that there's more than uh, an, you know one. In terms of the candidates that you're seeing now, there's 18 of them. We can't differentiate from, from all of them, but you were saying how important it is to you to change the shape of leadership. And I asked about differentiating with Loretta Smith. I will have a similar question about Tara Hurst around Sam Chase, around some of the other candidates who you're already bumping up against. Yeah, I mean, what I really want to say here is that I am the only candidate who's running on a system change platform. The only person who's willing to talk about uh, are big problems in, in, in a systemic way. Um, and I think the other folks are afraid to do that because they think you have to talk about one issue at a time in isolation from other issues. And I just don't buy that. And I think that voters are smart enough to understand that, uh, that, that we need to change how the city functions in order to do a better job of addressing our biggest problems. And um, I don't think anyone else is talking about those issues in that way. So in that way, I definitely stand out from, from these other uh, elected officials. And I also think that um, how you do your change work matters. You know, I, I've taken on uh, corporate interests and, and I've won with really limited resources and, and, and small budgets and not a lot um, of, of institutional support from, you know, the, the state of Oregon or, or these really, really large um, entities in the state, you know, and I, and I think that uh, you have uh, other candidates who will talk about how they've done incredible policy work on climate and whatnot, but it's like the, the, the work that I have done um, has been at more of the grassroots level, and it has been, um, frankly, about, you know, banning fracking, about stopping LNG exports, about asking for what is necessary, not just what you think is politically possible, and I think that's the kind of leadership uh, that we need in a time of crisis is somebody who's going to talk about what's necessary, not just what they think is politically viable. Differences between you and Sam Chase, who when he ran, there were a lot of folks. I mean, people have been he's been looking at himself as a city council candidate. I don't mean that as uh, casting aspersions, but ever since the starting of XPAC that helped launch uh, both Eric Sten and Deborah Kafori, and he was one of the founders of that organization. Eventually, then on the Metro Council, now for city council. What are some of the key differentiations between you and Sam? I mean, I think it's literally just the thing I just said. I, I think that he's you a little know, more corporate the than you. Between uh, kind of operating within 
the boundaries that the system as it currently is tells you is there. You know, I, I think it's this concept that um, we can only get as far as this existing um, power structure will let you go. And I think that we need to do a better job of, of trying to enact policies and solutions that are that, that push the boundary a little bit more. You know, we climate change is, is an existential crisis and we need to take you know, pretty radical action to, to curb it. And, uh, you know, we, you know, when we say no more freeway expansion, we really mean no more freeway expansion. Right. So, so I think that's the, you know, I, I, am not, I think Sam has great values. He has a huge sense of service to his community. Um, but I think that you would just look at our, our, our track records and what we've worked on in our careers that, um, I'm going to be the person that fights for what is necessary not just what I think, um, we can get. What's the dumbest question you've received yet on the campaign trail? And that could include one of the questions I have asked. <laughs> the dumbest question I've received. I, I literally can't even think of one off the top of my head. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be obtuse here. I, I, de- I don't generally walk through the world thinking that questions I'm receiving are dumb. Uh... <laughs> What's something that you've heard somebody say, maybe even specifically another candidate that you really heard and that impacted your thinking and maybe even changed a view? What's the biggest thing you've learned in this campaign from another candidate? Huh. I. Oh, uh, Cynthia. Castro, um, who worked at Amanda Fritz's office um, at a community forum in, in Southeast Portland, um, gave an incredibly thoughtful answer about uh, the Parks and Recreation Department and about um, uh, our response to graffiti and, um, and the staffing levels that the city has for how we address with, uh, you know, and deal with vandalism and, and those kinds of issues in the city of Portland. And it was so illuminating for me to realize how few people are responsible, actually responsible for addressing that issue. And it really shifted my thinking on that from, you know, like how serious, you know, we have people who have food insecurity and we have a housing crisis and like, you know, like why are people so like fired up about graffiti? And I was like, because there's like one person who's responsible for responding to like the 10,000 pieces of graffiti that go up like, however often. And I was just like, it was just very illuminating and it helped me really understand and be way more sensitive to the, the nuance of every single one of these topics. And it was a really good reminder that there's just no way to know everything that you need to know. And it's really important to just be open, like intellectually and open hearted uh, about the things that people are concerned about because their concerns are real and, uh, and, and, and we actually need to put resources towards so many different issues. And, uh, and it just really was a good reminder that, um, that the, it's always worth doing a deeper dive and hearing the real details of an issue before you have an opinion or um, make any decisions. What are the three most important traits that you use? And if you want to pick a different number, that's fine when you're hiring someone as a manager, someone you said, one of the most important decisions you'll have to make is who you bring into your team. What are the handful, small handful, two or three things you look at most when you're making a hiring decision? I'm really looking for folks who are 
extremely earnest and, and, and serious about um, service, folks who are really um, in it for the right reasons. Um, hardworking, obviously, you know, this is going to, we're going to have two years uh, to, 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 to finish out Nick Fish's term. And then four years after that, if I win re-election, uh, to try to enact some of the most visionary policies and possibly shift to a whole new form of government. Um, I want to make sure I'm surrounding myself with folks who um, are, are deeply committed to, to service and who are willing to work hard um, in honor of that service. Um, and then I think the other two really important traits are um, the open-mindedness we were talking about earlier, um, knowing that uh, I, I think it's good to have a diversity of perspectives, like in terms of like political perspectives and, and opinions in the room. I don't want a bunch of, you know, mini me's working for me. I want folks who uh, will bring a diversity of, of opinions and thoughts into the room, but do so with a sense of openness um, and being respectful of, of other people's ideas and, and opinions. So, so really I, I want to make sure. And then, and I guess the third one is, 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 um, is the, the trade I talked about myself earlier. I, w- I really want the folks I'm working with to be growth-oriented. I don't want somebody who comes into the room thinking they know everything they need to know and, uh, and that they are, um, that there's no room for, you know, growth and improvement. It's like I want everyone to be like, all right, this is an opportunity for all of us to push our limits um, and, and learn and grow together and create something incredible together. How do you hire for those things? How do you evaluate those three or four traits? You said earnestness and motivation, people who are hardworking, diversity of perspective, and folks who are growth-oriented. How do you evaluate for that when you go through a hiring process or even how you would like to go through a hiring process? Because one of the things, I, and I remember you know, being asked like credentialing questions, well, what have you already been elected to? What have you already led? It's like, well, no, I, this, is a, this is a citizens-led government. Citizens, people, human beings should have a chance to do this thing. That means they'll have some things they've already done and some things they haven't done. And unless we right. only reelect incumbents, that means no new person will ever have a chance, so, which right. would also mean no new person would ever have a chance. So mm-hmm. that said, you will be in this position pretty soon if you win, and you'll have to hire yep. people pretty soon. What's your hiring process like, or what hiring process would you like to adopt? Yeah, you know, it's really similar to how I'm talking to you right now, Jefferson. I um, I, I might have a set of questions, but definitely part of it is is genuinely connecting with the person. You know, I, I want to, you know ask open-ended questions and, and get to know them, ask them about, about their life, ask them um, how they've responded, how they have responded to failure, how they responded to adversity, um, what gets them up in the morning, you know, why, you know, and, and I think that people will, I mean, I'm an organizer, I've been an organizer my entire career, I've talked to so many thousands of people, and, 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 and you, um, it's amazing once you, you know, kind of get folks to open up what, what you can learn about them. And you can do so rather quickly. I mean, in the span of a one five-minute conversation, you know, I can go real deep with somebody <laughs> if they're willing to open up with me. And so I think uh, that's really, it's going to differ from one interview to the next interview based on the person and what I'm hiring for. But it's going to involve a really earnest and frank conversation. And if a person... Um, you know, isn't able to, to do that in that process, then they're probably not going to be the right person for my staff, right? I want folks who are um, 
self-reflective enough to answer those kinds of questions and be, be really real about it. What are the biggest mistakes or missed opportunities the city council has made over the last few years? Over the last what? Few years. Few years. Um, I mean, I think we've already covered this. You know, it's like I, I would I would say that um, we 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 took too long to treat housing as a crisis, and even now that we are treating it as a crisis, it feels it still feels like we're we're not tackling it with the amount of urgency and cross jurisdictional and cross bureau cooperation and funding that that seems necessary um so i it's like it's this is the same thing i've said already you know i i think that housing and then the other big one would be well but, um, but i want to traffic you know we've been growing and 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 like there was a lot of ways to predict that traffic was going to become an issue and um and uh but to be fair the, the solutions to that are you know expanding transit and finding new sources of funding to pay for transportation that isn't just improving roads for cars, right? So I understand that that's not a purely city problem, but I think if we'd been serious 10 years ago at starting to foresee this problem, um, we maybe could have gone ahead of the curve a bit. I hear that. I want to try my question again. I hear that housing and traffic are really important issues. I want to get, and I say this, you know, if I were going through my weaknesses, one of my weaknesses I had to work on is that I, that I continue to, is I'm a verbal processor, right? So I have to make sure I breathe when I listen, et cetera, to make sure my brain is still turned on. Uh, let me try to ask my question a little bit better. Let's look at housing and traffic, both of them really important things. What do you think the city council has done wrong? Because every single one of them has said housing is important. I, we can quibble about traffic. I want to get to that also. But every single one of them has said housing is important. And both of them have said it's their most important thing. Anything they've done that's just a mistake or a missed opportunity? And maybe that's just the benefit of hindsight, but still interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think I, I got into these specifics earlier in the conversation, but it's like cracking the nut of how to house people temporarily is something that should have been done by now. You know, and How should we do and it? And I don't have the silver bolt solution to that, but I'm just saying, like, whatever the challenges are around that, I understand they don't want to spend a lot of money um, for quote unquote band-aid solutions. They want to do the big investments for the permanent solutions. But like in the meantime, having people on the streets with literally not enough beds for them is, is actually not an option. Right. And I also think sweeps. I mean, if we're going to talk about a mistake, sweeps was a massive mistake. Yeah. We need to stop sweeping. It, it, it doesn't solve the problem. It's incredibly expensive and it, and it, and it's traumatizing to the, the houseless community that we have to stop criminalizing houselessness. Like I would say that's the biggest mistake for sure. How should um, we do? We, we'd been spending that money on uh, creative solutions to how to actually provide them services and mental health uh, treatment and, uh, and, and temporary shelter. We would have, that would have been money better spent. What's a topic you like to talk about on the campaign trail? What are the things that get you going that you, that oh, you, you do know. find <laughs> System change. I love talking about system change because it relates to all the issues. It relates to all the issues. I love talking about um, how do we make this uh, a government that better works for and serves the people of the city and how do we engage people in the decision-making process from the beginning and throughout the decision-making process to make sure we come up with solutions that will actually uh, serve the communities they were intended to serve and have fewer unintended consequences. I, I am, I'm wonky like that. Um, I love the idea of data-driven decisions, too, which you don't get to talk about very often because you just don't. But, um, but yeah, I'm, 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 not, I'm passionate about talking about hiring a local workforce 
you know, so that we can uh, have a more sustainable local workforce and a stronger economy. Well, let's talk about in system change. One of the proposals that has been debated for a while that it helped trigger at least one opponent to run against Chloe U. Daly was the discussion about minimize, reducing the power of neighborhood associations. Uh, and there might be quibbles about, well, is that actually what was being proposed, et cetera. But that was certainly what much of the debate has been about. How you felt about that? What role should neighborhood associations play in, the, uh, in city government? And if you were going to change it, how would you make sure it wasn't just reducing democracy, but in fact increasing it? Um, neighborhood associations can be an incredibly, um, uh, an incredible tool for direct democracy for, uh, cause it's the only way to associate, um, in an organization and, and that's geographic, that's not based on an issue or, um, uh, uh, an ethnic or cultural identity. It's, it's, it's really the only place where you can engage because like, this is the place where I'm from and I care. So I think it's imperative that we get the city, neighbor, the, the neighborhood association model right and that it be powerful and useful and fair and equitable um, and accessible to everyone who lives in the neighborhood and, the, and that there be requirements for making these, uh, these bodies uh, representative of their neighborhoods and that they be better supported by the city um, to function and operate as organizations that actually, you know, can have uh, influence in, in decision-making at the city level. That said, we also need to create a way for every other organization and, honestly, individual who is in the city to directly engage in democracy as well, which is why I'm extremely passionate about um, exploring that in the next charter review year in 2021. I think that one of the main ways that um, the Office of Civic Life is, is limited our community and civic life uh, is limited, is, is they're, they're limited by the charter. And I think that this is an amazing opportunity to explore how do we kind of open up the charter in some ways to, um, to create a better structure for how city, uh, how neighborhood associations engage. And also, when you create a districted form of government, neighborhood associations play a much more structured and official role in informing their uh, their city council members because they are like a direct like conduit to the city council member saying, Hey, here's what folks in this neighborhood in your district want. And then that city, you know, counselor is accountable to, to that group. Right. So that there's a built in structure to a, a districted system that, that automatically better, um, uh, better support and create structures for um, neighborhood associations. I also want to see that office opened up to, um, have more official input and, and, and engagement with organizations um, without creating a list of organizations. I think all organizations should be considered um, eligible for participating in and, 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 and engaging with uh, the city of Portland government. Um, and then lastly, I'm really excited about exploring models that have been um, developed in Iceland and in certain some, some cities in New Zealand about doing direct democracy um, using online tools um, to engage the broader public, because I think that the number one thing that's really missing from our democracy is that kind of broad-based direct input from people who just live in the city, not from groups that represent specific interests. Or I, uh, you know, so I think that's the other thing I'm really excited about adding into um, that 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 bureau, so that we can get serious about figuring out innovative ways to 
have more direct democracy that engages citizens who live in the or residents who live in the city of Portland. You talked about data-driven decision-making. What's a piece of data you learned recently that shaped or changed your own decision-making? Um, I think it was the data that, uh, that Cynthia Castro talked about was the parks. Um, once I realized how few resources were actually available and how big the problem actually was with graffiti, I was like, oh, my gosh, the world is a different place for me now. <laughs> I was like, okay, now that I know that, yes, I agree with, you know, giving that some more resources, right? Like, I just, I didn't, you know, that information was definitely um, eye-opening. And, and, and I don't know that it changed me because I, I didn't have, like, a hard idea about what I was wanted to do about graffiti because I didn't, I knew that I didn't know enough, but I, I didn't know um, how bad it actually was. And, and that was really important information to me and changed and it immediately informed how I think we should solve the problem. Anything I should have asked you that I didn't? You were you were pretty thorough, Jefferson. Well, Julia DeGraw, why don't you plug your website real quick? Running for city council in the city of Portland. Yeah, I'm running for Portland City Council, uh, position two, and my website is www.julia4pdx.com. That's Julia, the number four, pdx.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time. You listen to X-ray. Radio is yours.